Okay, uh, we're going to get started because we've got um, kind of a special session here <clears throat> where we, I've got a guest from Nigeria. So we're going to talk about Teach to Transform's work in Nigeria, which obviously we know is a very highly persecuted area. So um, we have a special guest, uh, Pastor Dogara, who is our partner in Nigeria. And I'm going to take half the session just to kind of cast the vision of what we did there and, and what our vision is. And then Pastor Dogara is going to talk about persecution in Nigeria and how this actually opened the door to share the gospel with the training that we did there. So um, first, uh, I think I would like uh, uh, Pastor Dogara to pray for us before we get started, please. Okay, let's pray. Our God and our Father, we come before you this afternoon with hearts that are committed to you and surrendered fully to you. We thank you for the grace. We thank you for your calling upon our lives. We thank you for the mandates that we have. Lord, we thank you for this meeting and that which you have in store for us. Lord, we pray as we begin, we implore thee, your God, that your spirit will take absolute control. You will cause your light to shine in our hearts, revealing to us the mind of the Father. We pray, O God, that you will activate that which is in us that is meant to bring glory to you. Because that our ears will hear that which we must hear, and that our eyes will see that which we need to see, and that in the end, your name and your name alone will be glorified. Thank you, blessed Father. It is in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Okay, he's pretty awesome, right? I want him to read my Bible, so then that I can just uh, listen to an audio Bible for me. He's got that deep. So, um, how many know of TTT or anything uh, as far as our mission work? So we we have you. So this will be new for you to understand. So I'm about to, to talk about something you may not want to hear. Uh, it was hard for me to hear when I first started doing mission work. So um, just kind of wanted to uh, cast a vision first, tell you a little bit about what we're doing around the world, why strategically we go where we go, and then I'm going to ask uh, Pastor Delgar to take over from there and talk about what it's like to uh, witness and share the gospel in a persecuted area. So the first thing uh, we want to know... Um, and understand is that we are on holy ground. When you look at a conference like this, and uh, in Exodus when God said, take your shoes off to Moses, you're on holy ground, the presence of God was there, and I think we all feel it. Uh, with all the networking that's going on, and, and uh, all the people just trying to find a place to serve in the world, uh, we feel the presence of God. So we are on holy ground, and uh, we need to respect that. Um, the other thing that we that uh, is a challenge for me is that we've been doing Teach to Transform for quite a while now, and um, I've given myself 20 to 25 minutes to share that vision with you so that I can give most of the time to Pastor Delgara. Um, and that's a challenge. And uh, I think, uh, you know, I'm in the season of my life where I have grandchildren, and, and um, so my training is I'm an emergency medicine doctor for 35 years. I just retired two years ago. And people said to me, uh, you're going to struggle because one day you're, you're kind of a big deal and the next day no one calls you and no one needs you. And I said, well, if your identity is in Christ, or identity in my job, that would suffer, I would suffer that way. But if my identity is in Christ, 
I have never missed a beat, never looked back, and I am more, more busy uh, than I've been even when I work. So, so no regrets there. Um, so when we uh, understand that we've been chosen to be in this room today, um, we have to understand that we have a responsibility with that. So trying to make this as simple as possible, which is what we do with our, all of our modules, uh, like I said, I'm in a season with my grandchildren where they're just a, um, a sermon every day. I've been ordained here at, at Southeast and I talk and oh my gosh, they're just too sweet the way they look at things. So I have a little red-headed three-year-old, a uh, little girl who, if I put it here, she's got to figure out a reason why it should be another foot away from that and she gives me a frown and figures that out. So I was reading a story uh, of a little redhead that was in a classroom and uh, she reminded me so much of her where the teacher told her, uh, I want you to draw whatever comes to your mind. So this little girl who is a typical redhead, just always edgy, she started just drawing her way. So the teacher interested walked up to her and said, well, um, honey, what are you drawing? And she said, well, I'm drawing a picture of God. And the teacher, trying to be correct, said, well, honey, no one knows what God looks like. And she said, well, they will in a minute. So, so what I'm going to try and do is in, in a very simple way show you in a minute or a few minutes what TTT does. So uh, we'll try and keep it simple so I can turn most of the time over. So we have tried uh, to figure out where we go and we want to be a light um, wherever we go in the world and that's where Teach to Transform has. And we have a strategic plan with that and I'm, I'm going to show that to you. So why are you doing missions? How did you serve and what, do you, what did you do? So when I go to the CMDA at the university here and I talk to um, the department, I'll have a room full of physicians and I'll, I'll ask them, are they, have they been on a mission trip? And they, all, they raise their hand and they say, yes, they have. And I say, well, what did you do? And they tell me. Um, and I said, well, how did you do that? And so they tell me that too. And it's, uh, you can tell the pride and, and just they're so proud of themselves. And I said, well, that's just awesome. I bet you relieved a lot of suffering and you did really well with that. But where was Christ in your work? And then they get quiet. Uh, did anyone pray with anyone? Well, sometimes. So I said, well, we have to call what you just did humanitarian. Because if Christ isn't in your work, then it's not mission work. It's humanitarian, which is a good thing. But our goal is mission work. So we have to figure out who we are and, uh, and why we're doing what we're doing. So the first thing I ask people uh, is, can you tell me your testimony? Because every person in this room has a story that God wants to use to bridge to the gospel. And that tells me a lot about why you want to go on the trip. Because when I first started doing missions, it was more about me than it was about Christ. I could tell you what I did, how I did it. Saw lots of people. Everyone thought I was wonderful. But then Christ kept chipping away at that. Well, where am I in your mission work, Tom? So uh, as, as we begin to, to do our mission work, it was very obvious to me, Scripture gives us the answer. And the answer is, the only hope for transformation is the love of Christ. Uh, so what does that look like? We all know John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. But an easy scripture that you can remember is 1 John 3.16, which is what is love. And the way we know love is because He gave His life for us and we ought to give our lives for the others. So it's a, it's a nice scripture track to tell us what God's mission work was. So, we're on holy ground. We have to hear what Christ is going to tell us today. So, uh, Job is a, is a favorite book in the Bible of mine because when I first was a baby Christian and I was trying to find my faith, I thought, man, God really whipped up on this poor guy. What was he doing? He offering him up to, to Satan. But in Job 1, uh, Job 1.8, 1, 
uh, he asked uh, the evil one, have you considered my servant? And I thought, wow, he trusted Job with his testimony. So I ask you to put your name in there. Have you considered my servant? And then put your name in there. Whatever God's going to do with you, he's going to write the story for you if you let him and your pride doesn't get in the way. So the way we know love is we have to use love. And uh, Doctor or Pastor Dogar is going to speak to persecution of Christians who are now coming back to him. How many times do we have to turn our cheek? How can we love these Muslims that are killing our families, taking our land? So that's a, that's a question of, that, that, that he has to deal with. So how does love work and what does that look like? So God started speaking to me when I first started my mission work. I began doing long uh, clinics. How many of you have done uh, large clinics? Anyone? How many have done mission work? Okay. So have you done uh, large medical clinics? Or how many short-term mission people do we have? Okay, so lots of short-termers. And I'm sure, were you involved with clinics? Okay, so that's, that's kind of the model I started with because um, when I first came to my faith... Um, you know, I, I had a long journey to find my faith. Uh, there was a time when I was full of pride and arrogance and, uh, and I wanted to be a good husband, a good father, and a good doctor, and life was good. And then my, uh, my beautiful wife of 45 years, Karen, sitting there, she got cancer and my life was turned upside down. And I had no hope. And through that process, by the grace of God, she was healed. I surrendered my life and I said, God, I'm going to turn this over to you, but show me you're there. Are you real? Because I had such a hard time looking at what I was seeing in the ER and finding where God was in all the horrible things I was seeing. And then I had my Job 38 moment when I said, where are you, God? And he said, where were you when I gave you this gift of medicine and you never used it in my name? So you all need to come to that Job 38 moment to find out where God's going to take you. So, so through that, um, I found uh, just an unbelievable passion for missions. And I talked to Karen and and Karen said, uh, I said, I really need to, we need to start doing mission work. And for those who know me, I sleep about four hours a night, max, I, just I guess from all the ER. And uh, Karen's a 10 to 6-er, so I have a rules of engagement. I can't bother until 6 in the morning. So I got this epiphany of mission work, and I had to sit there and wait till she woke up. I said, are you awake yet? <laughs> so she said, I said, we got to do mission work. And she said, okay. And I said, Ethiopia is on my heart. And she goes, Ethiopia? First of all, do you know anything about Ethiopia? And I said, nothing. So she said, I was thinking Eastern Kentucky would be a good place to start. <laughs> and I said, uh, I said, no, we've been blessed. We got I don't know why, but we got to go. So I soon learned some about Ethiopia, and it was a life-changing trip for me, but it was going and doing. So uh, once we got into the mission field, this, is a, this one picture here on your left um, is a line after we worked 12 hours. And the lime was growing and growing. And, and I asked Karen, I said, geez, how's it looking? Because in the ER, if you work faster, the, the crowd finally goes down. But I looked out this, this uh, Karen took a picture of this, and I looked out there and went, oh my goodness, what are we going to do with this? So then the question was asked me, uh, so Dr. Tom, why are you quitting? Why are you leaving when there's so many more to see? And then God was speaking to me, what have I left behind? I've met some physical needs and probably missed lots in this line but I didn't address any kind of spiritual need and where was Christ. And then I had a trip uh, similar to this where I was the team was getting sick, so I was up in the evenings watching, uh, taking care of the team, and in the distance I heard babies crying. It was We were in the bush. It was just beautiful. 
Uh, and I thought, how, how serene is this? But the next morning, a mother came to me with a baby wrapped in a cloth, and she said, uh, my baby's been, been sick, it's felt warm, won't breastfeed anymore, had some uh, funny sounds when it breathed, and uh, I thought, well, we just got a little pneumonia, we'll take care of this, we'll give medicines. But to my horror, when I opened the blanket, the baby had died. So then really God spoke to me about, is there something that I could have done so she would have recognized that this baby was that sick a day ago, two days ago, the signs of resp- our, our newborn care and the signs of the warning signs. So could she have recognized respira- respiratory stress in the newborn? So God started speaking to me about how I should uh, do missions. And I kept going a little bit longer, doing these long lines. And then doctors on my trip, uh, you know, doctors are a little prideful, if you don't know that yet. So they would come on the trips. And, and uh, one trip after the earthquake in Haiti, this doctor saw this long line and we were working. And then he called a pastor over uh, who had lived in Haiti for 25 years. And he said, you know what you need to do? And he went on this tirade about you know, half an hour about how to fix Haiti. We all know how that worked out. So I, when, I, when he was finished, this pastor was so kind, he just sat there. So when this doctor got through with his assessment of fixing Haiti, I said, you re- just realize how arrogant you just sounded. You just talked to a pastor his whole life. He's lived here. You told him how to fix it, and you've been here a few hours, and you never once thought to ask him what he needed. So where is that in your equation of how to do mission work? You have to rely on the, on the nationals and where uh, and what you do. So God was showing me there's a different way to do that. So I was struggling with, um, with how we were doing missions. So I have a, a talk I do for the residents. It's called, Who Needs a Pickup Truck? So I take pictures all over the world of, of uh, things I see that, um, that are pretty cute. So this, this is how, we did, well, how I started doing missions. So we carry in all of our baggage... We have this big agenda as if God isn't even there. So as we're pedaling, we don't even know where we're going, but we're going. And when we get there, have we asked our partner what they needed? Probably not because we're carrying our stuff with us. So it became very uh, clear to me that um, we weren't doing missions the correct way. So we blindly walked into into this, this mission work. So um, I wanted to go back one here if I can. Um, So in this situation, God was speaking to me in Luke uh, 10.30 about the Good Samaritan. And I read this interesting article about, from uh, Tim Keller. He said, okay, everyone understands the Good Samaritan. We'll go in and we'll do what we can. But what if you went back to that, uh, that situation and you went on the, the Jericho Road? Every day there was another person laying there and another person. And then you kept going back and there were hundreds and, and thousands of people laying there. What happens? You get burnt out. You think there's no answer. So... We have to figure out a way to fix the Jericho Road, and how is that? That's with our partners and their input and their understanding. So um, the next thing God was showing me when I was praying about how you do missions and transform through Christ, he spoke to me in Luke 7.22, and, and you kind of remember this. This is when John the Baptist was in prison, and John the Baptist said, sent his disciples, go ask Jesus if he's the one. And what did Jesus say to him? Jesus says, you go back and you tell John, the lame walk, the blind see, the lepers are healed, the dead are raised, and what? The good news is preached to the, to the poor. So he combined compassion and health care with the gospel. So it was very clear to me of how we should do missions. We have been given a special gift. And when I had my Job 38 moment of where were you, 
he was telling me he gave me a gift. Now I want you to use it in compassion. Uh, so that's basically where God took me. And uh, shortly after that, we began to, to form um, a philosophy of training to go. So the, the next uh, journey we went on is, is to develop uh, a module and a time uh, of what we do, and that's Teach to Transform. We equip partners around the world with vocational and medical skills to share the gospel and open the doors. So that was very simple, but it got a little complicated as we started to do that and how we did that. So, you know, there's, you know, in the New Testament, they teach us there's 59 one another's. Be, be, uh, be kind to one another. Uh, you know, accept one another. Forgive one another. Be compassionate. And the most important is to love one another. How can you do that in five days with no relationship? Can you build a relationship that soon? So I want to tell you what you're going to hear is you're not the answer to this problem. It's the indigenous, the national people who can do this. Uh, we, I was just at a, a conference in Africa and they said the global north is becoming less of a player than the global south. There will be 70% of the Christians in the world will be in the global south. That's your sub-Saharan Africa. That's your Southeast Asia, India, Indonesia. So that's where we're going to start targeting. But you have to, to target the areas that are lost. So uh, with that, we started to work on um, what we've learned through the mission and the mistakes that we had made. So holistic transformation has to be the answer to this. You cannot just do healthcare. You can't do this. You can't do that. It's got to be holistic. And holistic means incorporating Christ in your compassion. Humility is the other thing. Are you going to be prideful of your mission work? Are you going to be prideful of your organization? Are you going to share? Are you going to work together for the kingdom of heaven? I can't tell you how many organizations we talk to that, that just don't catch that vision. I spoke to a, to a, uh, a physician in uh, Kenya just a month or so ago, and I told him this vision of empowering healthcare workers, community healthcare workers, the evangelist. And he was a doctor working in a hospital in Uganda, and his answer to me was, well, that's an interesting concept. I said, interesting concept. What would be the downside of that? Can you think of anything to educate a healthcare worker to become a screener and then triage, share the gospel, and bring him to your hospital? And his answer was the same. Uh, that's an interesting concept. So my dear friend George, who's my African uh, brother of uh, more than a decade, uh, put his arm around me and said, you know, Dr. Tom, a lot of people don't get this vision you've got. And I said, do you think he was one of them? And he said, yes, he was. He didn't, he didn't get that vision. So, so then we say, okay, we have to work with humility. We have to listen to our partner. And it has to be God-led. You can't, anytime you move ahead of God, like um, Kyle's talk today, um, you'll fail. You'll become a stick with no impact. So partnerships between the global north and our resources and the global south, empowering them who know the language, know the culture. So we have to empower courageous evangelists. So who are the students we want to teach? Are they pastors? No, we learned that they were too busy. Are they the evangelists, the ones at the tip of the spear? So we have heard stories of just courageous people. Um, Karen and I were at a conference and they, this man said, I was witnessing to a militant uh, uh, Muslim uh, warlord and he said, I'll allow you in my village if you drink this poison. So uh, he said, if you survive, I'll listen. And Karen and I said, well, what did you do? He said, well, I drank it. It's a win-win. I either get to see Jesus Christ that very day or I get to share the gospel. So these uh, were just going, whoa, so are you at that level and are you that courageous? Uh, we have partners in India now who, the militant Hindu group there is the RSS. They are taking our medical backpacks and taking them from our, 
our evangelist, and when they asked him, why are you taking this? They said, to make sure you come back because they're realizing they're a sign of compassion even though they're Christian. The Hindu doctors are saying, we want these healthcare workers that you've trained, not healthcare workers, evangelists you train, to come work with us. And their stipulation was, only if we can pray. The Hindus said, yeah, just one more God, go ahead and pray to him. But the, the uh, evangelists were sharing the gospel in this just powerful uh, uh, persecuted area. So we have to empower the nationals. And then we have to be critical of who we train. And then we have to have a strategy for global engagement and what that looks like. So first we have to talk about our students and who that is. So uh, the Voice of the Martyrs was a group that we trained in Nigeria. And just to acknowledge... um, Patrice, if you want to raise your hand over there, Patrice has worked in Nigeria for a long time, well connected. Seven organizations she had. And when we, when we talked about empowering and working with her, she had enough humility to say, I want to invite in other organizations. So she invited seven other organizations to come in. And our, the, the, the great part of our ministry is, when you come in with us, we're not asking you to work work together. We're asking you to take this model and then go incorporate it into your mission work. So, so it works perfectly. But uh, Voice of the Martyrs was one of the people there. They were actually going into the areas where the Nigerians had kidnapped the young ladies and they recognized who they were and tried to get them out. They were being speared. So when we did our wound module, one of the Voice of the Martyrs people said, this is great, you can, we can learn how to take care of these penetrating trauma to the abdomen. I said, well, that's not quite what the wound care thing is. It's more abrasions. So, so uh, But just courageous people. Uh, so... The next thing we have to do is we have to empower these national believers who are so so courageous. This gentleman here took our medical backpack and witnessed over 300 people in just a few months in Myanmar. And uh, we had a pastor in Egypt who um, took our module. And when I was back at the Global Missions Conference in Kenya, he came up to me and says, Gosh, Dr. Tom, I wanted to meet you because uh, your organization taught us here and we just love it. We've got 2,000 of your modules we've reproduced and we're moving all through Egypt. And I said, well, you know, we've been praying about getting into Chad and North Sudan. He said, you're already there. I'm already going there with your modules and we're working in Chad. We didn't even know it. So this is so much bigger than we are and we get to be part of it. His conversion was, which we hear a lot, was a dream. He was memorizing the Koran and a bright light came to him and he just had this intense pain throughout his body. This bright light came and reached out to him with, with his hand and said, I can take your pain away. This is Jesus Christ. Okay? So he immediately became, left his family, left his culture, and moved on and is now a courageous pastor um, for the gospel. So what we teach, this is our basic modules. Health and hygiene, waterborne illness, germ theory first. Then we talk about vital signs, wound and burn care, newborn care at birth, and newborn care after birth. So we have... Uh, many more trainings than that, but this is our key that we go in. This is initially what we train the evangelist in. Uh, The next thing we have to come up with is a global strategy. So we said, if uh, Teach to Transform committed a few years ago that we would only go to the unreached. So if you ask us to go to Haiti now, we'll decline because it's reached. There's a lot of people there. So we want to go to the unreached. And that is a people group with less than 2% Christian to share the gospel. So we look for those areas. So how do we find it? We went to the countries with the least access to health care. Then we looked at the darkest spiritual places in the world and we crossed those over. And then we looked at the countries with the lowest annual incomes, which kind of speaks to the whole thing of poverty. 
And what we found was, uh, this is where we work. So this is our target. This is where we're going to be working in these, uh, and we've delegated time and trips to these areas. So if you're interested in coming with us, this is where we're going to be working. Um, and we'll be working in Sub-Saharan Africa, India, and Nepal, and you can read those there. So the next thing we have to figure out is um, the impact. So if you look at India, we did a training in the south, uh, and East-West Ministries, which is a church planning ministry, had the courage to come with us and pilot it in the south. Since then, we've done four or five trainings. The seven people reached over 3,000. And now, uh, you'll hear this story tomorrow at 8 o'clock with East-West Ministries. This is what our India map looks like. We just got back and haven't added the next group. But they've reached over 500,000 with the gospel through this training. There are courageous uh, evangelists working. So, so we know this works. We just have to get people on board. This is our work in Africa from 2017-2019. We're training more and more and more. Uh, and we're working in the sub-Saharan area where the persecution is the heaviest. The other thing we've done is we've gone a step uh, further, and that is we've taken our Kenya doctors we work with, created a mere NGO of Teach to Transform, not our name, but they have our governance, all of our mission statement, and now we've asked them to create their own donor supply, do their own trips. We will walk with them, but it's a mirror image of us. And now we're working with CMD to contact doctors every field we're in to try and replicate what we're doing. So when we have a trip that people want to go to Kenya, we call up this mirror TTT, and they take it and they go with it, and they're, they're self-sufficient. In fact, in an area in northern Kenya, uh, which was predominantly oral learners, we partnered with a group called Spoken who took our modules, created stories from them, and then they shared, uh, and we're getting reports back from there now. So Africa in 2019, Nigeria was one of them. Um, So here was our training in Nigeria. We did one training in Jos uh, with Patrice's contacts as well as Pastor Dugars, whom I'm going to ask to come up and, and talk here. So we said, choose wisely. And that, the people that came into this, these are the partners that were there. Uh, they did choose wisely. And this is what Nigeria looks like now uh, with the evangelists that we trained. You can see how, if you're strategic and you get the, the powerful evangelist in there, you can see the power of this. So Pastor Dogara, if you could come up and speak to persecution and the role that plays and how this may open the door for you. If you want to. So, welcome, Pastor Dogaro from Nigeria. Okay. Do you want to use the microphone? Yeah, the recording. Good afternoon. Um, my name is Dogara Gwana. I came with my wife, Deborah. She's right where I sat earlier on. I want to say that I'm grateful to God for the privilege of being here and to share with you. Um, I'm a Nigerian, and I know that the sound of that name, Nigeria, sends some kinds of signals. I remember sometimes last year I was traveling and uh, we got to the particular airport where we had to connect another flight and 
when immigration was screening our passports, they got to mine and they asked me to stand by the side. Another Nigeria, Nigerian got there and they asked him to stand by the side. And so the two of us that were Nigerians in that flight, they kept us for an, for an extra 30 minutes. Doing nothing but just making sure that our visas and our passports are correct. Because Nigeria can be really very funny. So we are battling with stuff like that. And then, for those of us that are Christians, we are battling with the fact of being a Christian in Nigeria. Christianity is under pressure. The population of Nigeria now, as we stand, is close to 200 million. And about 45 to 48% of that uh, number are Christians, quite all right. But we are under pressure from Islam. Islam is doing everything. This morning I was watching a video and uh, I saw an Islamic cleric mobilizing support from all over the world to target at Nigeria and silence Christianity. The pressure comes in the form of direct provocation where churches are burnt down, Christian businesses are destroyed, Christians are denied rights in public service, lands are occupied, ancestral lands are seized either by government or by some organizations sponsored by Islam. And why this succeeds is because as I speak with you, the politics of Nigeria is controlled by Islam. The presidency, the ministers, the security architecture, the economy, and everything you can think of is controlled by Islam. And if you know a Muslim very well, you would know that once he gets into power, he doesn't put off Islam. He comes in as a Muslim. It is those of us that are Christians that at times when we have opportunity in power, we come in as uh, persons that are not necessarily Christians because we treat Christianity as a garment. You put it on for a time and then you put it off. Now with all of this pressure, we are faced with a number of things. Number one is syncretism. The challenge that several people that are Christians are beginning to consider the options of going back into traditional practices or combining the two. Yes, you are a Christian, but you feel that when the pressure comes, God is not enough to save you, so you need to go to God's and get help. So we have people who are Christians, but they depend on some other things in order to withstand the pressure. Then number two is the issues of self-defense. Because we have attacks that come to our homes. People that are sponsored by Islamic forces would attack communities and kill several people. And so our youth are beginning to resort to self-defense. But for those of all our pastors, we try to preach and talk on the need to depend completely on God. I have a story to share with you. Um, because some of the things that I'm talking about are not things I read in a paper. They are things that have happened to me. I have survived 
these uh, challenges several times. My life was almost taken. I remember in the year 2000, that's about 20 years now, there was a crisis between Christians and Muslims, and we were attacked. Right in my presence, my friend was hacked to death, and we ran out. And then the next day we came back again because they came to our community and then we had to stand to face them. They were on that camp, we were here. They were shooting and throwing all kinds of things. In the midst of that, a young Muslim boy ran from wherever I can't tell and fell right in front of me. And I raised the machete that was in my hand to strike him. But the Spirit of God said to me, no, you are not a killer. And he was busy shouting, La ilaha illallah, and all of that. And so I didn't kill him. I, I asked him to run out. The other Christians that were together because of the violence that was in the air, they were not happy with me. Because that was an opportunity for us to kill one too. But that's not where the story ended. The next day, we, ran, we had to run out, run out of the environment because they overpowered us. And on my way out, running to where we take uh, refuge, I, and I, I ran into a mob, an Islamic mob. You needed to be there to understand the situation I'm talking about because there were corpses all over the places and the only option that was available was that they were going to kill me. And for me, I had even prayed and just surrendered to God that this is over. They gave me the beating of my life and, and then one of them said, there were over 30 of them, one of them said, why are we wasting time? Let's kill this one. And I remember a voice that came out from amongst them. An older person that I consider an angel. It was Jesus, I believe. Who said, no, don't kill him. He is innocent. I couldn't believe it. And so they all stood quiet and they said, okay, let him go. At that point, I couldn't walk. I was, I was already almost finished. So I just crawled out of that environment and that was how I survived. So I tell this story to discourage the idea of self-defense that eventually leads to Christians also attacking where they find the Muslims in minority. Because if I had killed the other boy the previous day, I would not have survived. Because I would not be found innocent. Another challenge that this, this pressure comes with is Religious pluralism. The fact that you now need to agree with Muslims and live in peace leads to the fact of de-emphasizing Jesus in our discussions. I left a book at home. I should have come with it. One of our African pastors wrote a book and the title of the book is God is not a Christian. And what he means is that God is a universal father. He is father to all. He is a bishop. And the whole idea behind that book is when you come to discussions with people who are not Christians, don't emphasize Jesus, emphasize God. Because God is not a Christian. God is a father to Christians. He is a father to Muslims. And so within the Nigerian system today, interfaith discussions are advocating and advancing the idea of de-emphasizing Jesus so that you can live in peace. I consider that an attack on Christianity also. 
by the enemy. Now, but what is the church doing? The church is sending evangelists to areas that are not entirely reached by Islam yet. And we are having success stories. But it's also coming with a lot of difficulties. Last year, by the mercies of God, a hymn writer actually said that God works in mysterious ways his wonders to perform. Last year, I came to Louisville at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary to do a program. And then I met a sister who introduced me to Teach to Transform. And for me, that became the major reason why God brought me to Louisville. Because that meeting that brought me together with Dr. Tom and the team has turned around a lot of things with regards to the approach to mission in Nigeria. TTT visited us this year. They came in April, and like he said, we worked together with Patrice. We brought in about 58 evangelists that are spread all over Nigeria, and they were trained. And since then, I can tell you sincerely that the story of mission endeavor that some of us are involved in has changed. Because we are now beginning to have access to areas that we couldn't reach before. Areas that you couldn't go with. If you were to go with the gospel with your Bible and say, I came to preach, you would be resisted. But now our people go with backpacks, carrying uh, equipment for medical. And if you, if you understand this very well, you know that nobody would resist uh, medical attention. Especially within my environment. My environment... We, people die out of ignorance, people die out of a lack of care and all of that. And then when you have people coming around and saying, okay, let me check your blood pressure, let me attend to your wound care and all of that. Whether the person says he's a Christian or not, you give him attention. So today we have our people going to interior villages, going to Muslim areas and attending to people. And I'm telling you, we have stories of people who call us on phone. And they said to us, going by the encounter I had with your people, I want to be a Christian, but I'm afraid of coming out. Can you disciple me quietly? And that's the engagement we are in with today. As I speak with you, one of the people that was trained, Ishaya Tura, is in Maiduguri now. He went alone with the backpack. And he will be there for two weeks. Just reaching out to people quietly. If you know Maiduguri, Maiduguri is in the northeast of Nigeria. You may not know Maiduguri, but I believe you know Boko Haram. Boko Haram, that is their mainstay. That's where they are. And he is reaching out to people in that environment. And nobody knows that, look, this is an evangelist. Because he is coming with compassion. He is coming with care. And the doors are opened. And that's why I said my coming to Louisville last year was actually to come and meet TTT. What are the prospects in our partnership with Teach to Transform? Greater awareness on issues that were not known before or that people did not have understanding of before. We have so many people who are living with high blood pressure and they do not know. And then suddenly the person has a stroke. And you say it's a witch. 
most of the times you say it's an attack from the devil. But today, we are able to reach out to these people and we tell the person, look, your blood pressure is high. And if you stay with it this way, this is what will follow. And then the people are asking, what do I do? And you refer them to medical care. We are enjoying reduction in infant mortality. Today we are discussing with TTT to come and train native midwives. There are areas in Nigeria that you, before you get to a medical facility, you will have to cover several miles. And so we have native midwives that are not trained and their work is to attend to pregnant women at the time of delivery. But because they are not trained, we have a high rate of infant mortality. But with the training that we are receiving, and we hope to receive more, that will deal with some of those issues. And then, like I said earlier on, there is an unprecedented open doors to ministry, to local environments where the gospel would have been refused. People are accepting us now as friends because we are coming with care and compassion. Our local evangelists have their morale boosted because they have acquired an additional skill to focus on winning souls, but they come with this skill to attend to people. It's a great thing of joy. I'm not a medical person, but when I attend to somebody and he tells me that, oh, the evangelist in your church came and he attended to me in this way and this way and referred me to this facility and my life is better, I feel happy about that. Some of us are pastors, we pastor in churches, so we don't get to go to the, to the interiors, but our evangelists that go there, they come back with great news. Strengthen mission endeavors within environments of Islamic and traditional pressure. That's what we are enjoying now with TTT, and we look forward to enjoy more. My time is almost up. As we partner with TTT, we maintain the basic reality that the primary objective is to reach out to the lost souls for Christ. Not that we are going out for medical practice. We realize and we accept and we know that though we are trained, that does not make us doctors. But the training we receive opens the door for us to minister. And there is something I wrote here. I said, though the enemy may be on our way to hinder we see the clouds gathering for the rains of abundant harvest for the Lord. Thank you for listening. So just to give you an idea, uh, this is what's happened since we've been there. People seen medically, uh, and you're talking about very persecuted areas, almost 3,000. High blood pressures, uh, or blood pressures taken, almost 1,200, diagnosed 65. Wounds, burns, babies delivered. We had one that survived. Uh, taught health and hygiene to over 1,400 people. So you can see the impact just starts building on itself. And number of new villages entered, 176. Number who heard the gospel, almost 2,000. Number who accepted Christ, 305. House churches started, you can understand, is a, is a problem. So take one of your trips that's a medical training. Do that in a week. Treat three, 400 people. You come home, what happens? Look at the impact that we're having. Uh, Romans 10, 14, 15 is really uh, what we believe, and that is how beautiful are the feet that spread the good news. So your role in this, if you want to be part of something huge, 
that God is writing, come join us. Um, and with that, um, come with humility. This is actually the pledge that we ask our students that uh, Pastor Dogaran was talking about. That they remember well, who they are and what they are. They're not healthcare workers. They're evangelists who are sharing the gospel. And then remember always John 14:12, And they say this pledge when they leave. So, uh, when you look at Teach to Transform Next Steps, please come visit our website and talk to us up there. Uh, we, our, our next steps would be to engage you, uh, understand your organization or church. Then we come and do a vision preparation at your church or organization, preparing them to what it looks like to go on a trip. You join us as a table leader. And then the next trip, you, you, we put you in front of the class as an instructor. Eventually, this transition will be that you lead teams. And then hopefully, uh, our goal is that wherever we go in the world, that uh, two or three years from now, they don't know Teach and Transform, they don't know Dr. Tom, but they're going to know Pastor Dogara, who brought them compassion and love and, and shared the gospel with them. Our role diminishes, their role increases, and the model is spreading all over the world. So if you want to be part of something big, and you have the, you, the humble uh, mindset that the answer is not you, but you have been given a gift to empower these courageous uh, evangelists, come talk to us, and we'd love to, to talk to you. Thank you for your time, and uh, if you have any questions, uh, we'll be here to answer them. I think we have about five minutes here. So any questions at all on how this works? We'll be here to answer questions. Uh, I know it's right after lunch, <laughs> so it's it's a, it's a hard one. So, yes. Just kind of wondered, um, maybe from your Nigeria experience, uh, are you beginning to now see second cycle, third cycle, or are you guys still in the first cycle? Of yeah, great question. So tomorrow at eight o'clock, uh, I'm going to discuss our India work where they've reached five hundred thousand, and we're in our third or fourth generation of trainings where they're training more and more, and it's just exploding throughout India. So I wanted to give an idea of what it's like on the first generation. Now when we go in, Pastor Dogara has already identified people who could become trainers with us. Our team will be smaller. Those will get bigger. And each time we go in, it's multiplying itself. So that's the model, is that each time we go in. Um, But great question, Cindy. Any other questions? Okay. Partnerships are the answer to this. We partner with churches, organizations. As long as Christ gets the glory, nothing we have is patented. You can have everything. Our goal is to give it to you and let you go with it. Okay? Praise God for you. And uh, you are on holy ground. Remember that this week. Okay? Okay. Thanks, everybody.